Katie. Yes? What do you call alpacas taking over the world? Oh, no. I don't know what. The alpacalypse? Oh, no, Aaron. <laughs> what are you doing to this podcast? <laughs> I'll admit it. I googled these jokes and all of them were terrible. So welcome back, Alpaca Pals. I've never hit you with an alpaca joke, so I felt it was time. Um, so last season, we we did an episode where I chatted with my partner, Lucas, and you all seemed to really enjoy it. So in the spirit of couples travel, we've got another travel couple here to talk with us about their experiences traveling the world together. And we're going to delve into how their experiences differ by way of gender. We're also going to talk a little bit about culture shock. So let's dive in. Today we're talking with Chris and Bree Mitchell. They're from the travel blog, travelingmitch.com. Welcome, Chris and Bree. Hey, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Do you want to give us the elevator pitch for your blog? Uh, do you want me to give like the 10 second story of it or like what we, what we write about? What do you want me to do? Anything you want to say. Okay. It all started back in 2010 when I was living in Oslo, Norway, and then uh, the blog kind of grew um, as we moved to South Korea together and, and told some of the stories there and, and followed us along to Istanbul where we lived for three years. And um, during that time, I think I was probably more in the, in the driver's seat of writing, um, but both kind of equally visioning the, the brand and Brie has been a huge part the entire way. And now more than ever, we're, um, more than ever, we're, uh, we're focused on uh, working together to, to to tell stories our way, uh, and I think we're getting better at figuring out what our way looks like. Yeah, I think that basically sums it up. <laughs> awesome. And you've also got a podcast. Mm-hmm. You have to tell us about the podcast. Yeah, so I have a podcast called uh, Rick Steves Over Brunch, um, which is basically in the same way that people are reviewing things like Game of Thrones and um, those kinds of shows, The Walking Dead, we review episodes of Rick Steves Europe. And um, it kind of started like all good things uh, late at night after a few beverages and uh, just decided that we would actually go for it. And it's turned into something pretty interesting. I think we have, we have a little fan base. Uh, Rick came on the show um, to, to review an episode with us um, and for an interview. And for the record, we rate our episodes out of button-down shirts. Um, and he gave his own episode 5.2 out of five button-down shirts. So legend <laughs> right there. Absolute legend. Uh, yeah, but I have nothing but respect for him. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that you, we started more or less because it was, um, it just seemed like a fun way to spend some time. And then some, I think, I think people resonate with that more nowadays than ever. Projects which seem like they're sort of selfless in their spirit. And uh, so it was, it's cool to see, like, yeah, we have like a little Facebook group, and I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I'm shocked you guys listen to all the episodes, and they pick up like little things. Like it was so fascinating when you mentioned this, and in the episode of Romania, I was like, I honestly don't even remember saying that, but that's amazing. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful thing about podcasting. Sometimes after an episode, I literally black out. I just don't remember anything I said, and Katie gets really mad at me because a lot of the time I refuse to listen to our episodes because it just weirds me out to mm-hmm. revisit and to hear my own. <laughs> voice so it's just a black hole I don't know what I'm saying on the internet like I worked so hard on editing this podcast (laughs) well it just proves how much I trust you to edit me (laughs) so I've always been a little bit 
bit off-put by the term travel couple, especially recently, because I'm sure you guys know it's become this like phenomenon on Instagram, Mm -hmm. all these like travel couple accounts, and it's like their tagline. And Katie and I literally have spent evenings just like laughing at how it's just like the same image, different people in different places around the world. Um, So it's almost developed into its own niche, especially on social media. I'm wondering how you guys feel about this. So I'd love to chime in here. Um, I think it's absurd because just as you talked about, it's like you could literally sub out faces, names, like any person in interesting, like, background with like some sort of sultry sexy photo and or just like like they're just like naturally throwing water into the air and they're just so happy about it I think it's great everyone should live their own lives in terms of like what their brand is and what they're trying to bring to the table but I think that um with Chris and I like we have been a relationship first and like a couple who's enjoyed well we realized that we love traveling from when we met which we can get into later but um For us, it's more like we've just we just drive really nicely together and we're both pretty observant and like sensitive about the places that we're traveling. And so we want to make sure that when we visit a place, we're doing it the way we would want to do it. And then we'll share with whatever audiences what our experience is. We're not into like big staged coupley photos together or making it seem like there are rainbows sprouting out of every single day on the road, because I don't know if that's something that's true, at least for for us, it's not true for every day. Travel's not glamorous all the time, even though Instagram makes it look that way. So I guess mm-hmm. that's my two cents on it. Yeah, I mean, for, I think a lot of what Bree said, and also for me, um, you know, I'm in a position where I've met a lot of the people that I'm seeing on Instagram, and I've met some of these couples, and some are really wonderful people, and they really, I can see that they do have a really inherent love of, of travel and all that they're doing. And then some people I meet and... They don't seem particularly overjoyed to be traveling. They don't seem like they're really into it that much anymore. And then I look at their feed and it's like, oh my gosh, like I woke up at sunrise and took in this momentous moment. And it's like, you didn't, you know, like, I, you know, I, I know it wasn't a profound, like you, I, you're probably sort of bitching the whole way up the hill to, you know, feeling cold or something like that. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I, I think we're both careful not to discount anything that anybody wants to do from a creative standpoint. For sure. But I do think... Ultimately, you got to be honest with yourself, and I think that's probably why I'm super comfortable representing our brand because I've never had someone, you know, check out what I'm writing or reading or check out something we've shot or whatever, and been like, "Really, you guys are the same people?" You know what I mean? I think there's just like, and also, I mean, this is a larger sort of uh, discussion, but I think people are yeah, borderline desperate for authenticity now, and uh, I think we'd both like to be on the right side of that if possible mm-hmm. yeah and from a brand perspective i noticed with these accounts they're not really selling travel they're selling love mm-hmm. and like a beautiful version of it mm-hmm. which i think is wonderful and and as someone who has dabbled a lot in photography i can really appreciate behind the scenes what goes into those images but at the same time like if we're talking about authenticity i think it would go a lot further if more of these couples were acknowledging the lack of authenticity and just like embracing the fact that like okay we're selling you an image of love and coupledom and travel that isn't necessarily like our everyday but I find a lot of these influencers don't do that 
Yeah, and I, 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 sorry, I'm passionate about this, obviously. So I, you know, I just want to say, I think for me, it's difficult because um, it used to be that you could sort of go through Instagram and scroll through, and and you were intrigued by what you saw for at face value. You're kind of like, oh, it's really interesting. They were there. Oh, that's a really neat experience. And now, sort of for the most part, um, you know, a good portion of my feed, I, I wait till I get down to like the third paragraph when it's like, and that's why I love insert brand, you know. And it's like, I mean, that's just it's really frustrating for me because it. Um, I, my personal feeling is like you, once you lose that integrity, you can't really get it back. So you got to think carefully. I mean, there's some brands that I would probably wholeheartedly align with. Most of my feed is just what I'm interested in, what we're interested in. Same with Brie. Um, just things we want to showcase about our journey. But um, I think it's, you know, that part to me is a little frustrating. I think people are disillusioned by that. Um, and so I, I wonder now how many people are just like sort of, seeing that writing on the wall and they're like well i gotta scrape the last amount of money out of it so it's like every single post it's like you know sometimes it's like three or four brands it's like they're at a hotel working with the tourism board and wearing a dress and it's like and it's like tag 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 hashtag and it's like you may as well just have a picture that says hashtag ad you know but i think people are seeing through that though you know and just touching back on what you said before, Aaron, which I think was a really good point, was that they are selling love, like they're selling like a feeling and an experience. And I think that so often with some of these Instagrammers or influencers, like these these travel couple brands, it's uh, like it, would, it wouldn't matter which country they were traveling around. They're still creating and manufacturing that same story over and over again. And I think that that's also really harmful, too, because the the message that's being sent is that you can go to country X, country Y, country Z, and they're all going to feel the same. And that's actually a disservice to the locations that these people go to because they're not actually talking about the location at all. It's just a little bit of soft core porn in the water and some like beautiful mountains in the background. I, yeah, I just, I've also had a few chuckles over some of the accounts out there, but again, all the power to all the creatives out there not hating on photographers who spend a lot of time preparing beautiful images. It's just that when it becomes a little muddled between what it means to be like traveling and what it means to be like selling an experience, I think that it's important to make the distinction. Yeah, I often like find it interesting to look at my own social media presence and think about, I love thinking about what other people would think of me as a person if they met me in person. Katie and I have talked about this about the podcast, like I would love to meet one of our listeners who has now listened to me for a year and see, hang out with them for a night and see if I match what they imagine me to be. Because I think no matter what, you're going to imagine a person to be a certain way based on the communications and the media that you've engaged with them through. But like, there's no way to actually access through those channels, like who a person actually is. And I, I just find that very trippy to think about sometimes, especially look at when I look at like the way I present myself through different channels on social media, like versus the blog versus the podcast. It's really interesting to think about because that's often what I think about these influencers is like, what would you be like if I really met you? Maybe I could connect with you in a way that I don't think I can, like just by judging your social media. So we haven't even really talked about you guys. We should probably do that because <laughs> that's why I invited you here. Um, how did you meet? So we uh, both worked for an educational tourism company. And so we took grade eight kids on their grad trips to Ottawa. And we were in university at the time. Um, we didn't get along very well at all at first. Um, 
as time would tell after 10 plus years together, it's probably because we were each other's match in that like we 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 bring it out of each other for better or for worse, which is good. Like we challenge one another. Yeah, didn't get along very well, got to know one another, actually had some like really great conversations. And then a couple months later, we were dating. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing was, it was the last tour of the season and right. we, ended, we ended up being paired up together. And with the understanding that we didn't think we liked each other at all. Um, but we got along really well and just sort of um, stayed friends, you know, at that point. But I think I, th- I think we, we sort of just kept each other in each other's circle and, and uh, eventually um, found out that uh, she would split up with her boyfriend. And I sort of thought, well, I, won- I wonder what she's doing now. If she's in Toronto, um, if she likes coffee, you know. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, obviously. And I think we had... The, uh, that you know that kind of job was specific in the sense of you're sort of a particular you probably care about education you probably care about travel to a certain extent you probably are good on your feet and and you have a whole bunch of skills that that I think I was attracted to you know and, and um you know I at least I can only speak for myself but I wanted I always thought of myself as having a partner I could travel with and what that you know we're each taking different things on right like I would I don't want to have to carry around my partner like extra luggage, you know what I mean? Like you want to be able to be like, well, you're great at, you know, oftentimes I'm driving and Bree's doing navigation or whatever. And that was really key back in the day before, you know, the stuff, like literally we'd have like, you know, maps on maps in, in like backcountry of, you know, wherever. And it was like, it was pretty crucial to be like, you know, for Bree to be like, all right, so I know it's really snowing, you can't see, but around the bend, there could be a gas station in which we might be able to fill up because we're almost out of gas. You know, like that was the kind of, that's the kind of uh, how you can rely on each other. But um, yeah, that's just my additional addendum to mm-hmm. that. Funniest moment traveling together so far. Um, oh. Well, so something that came to my mind, because it, it was it's funny looking back at like travel moments because we've traveled to so many countries together and... It's been over like a decade. So it's interesting to try to like muddle that all up into what was the best or, or like the the top of like different moments. But something that jumped out to me was we were in Romania um, a couple years ago and we had rented a car and we drove to this castle, which everyone should Google it if they've never seen a picture of it. It's called Corvin Castle. It's gorgeous and it looks just like it's out of Harry Potter. It's in a very strange town like very like we just felt uneasy like we'd driven to this place and like we were very excited about the castle was great the town itself it was in I should also mention that we were there in November so like not peak tourism time at all um permafog yeah it was very eerie like it was a gray day and like it just felt weird it just felt kind of off so the place kind of gave us the creeps and we wanted to get out of there as soon as possible um, but as we're driving out of the town and we're, I think we're half jokingly just like, get us out of here. Like we always like have weird little, we're strange. You have to be strange if you spend so much time with someone. <laughs> um, but so we were <laughs> getting really excited to leave the area, just go to the castle though. It's totally worth it. Um, but as we're driving, there's this rickety little old car in front of us with like this old man and like a suit jacket and this older woman you can see through like the back. It's like a lower car. I don't know. It wasn't like a Volkswagen bug, but it was one of those small little compact older cars. And we're moving at a pretty decent pace. Like I'd say we were going like 60 or 70 kilometers an hour. And as we're driving, 
the wheels just pop off of this car like out to the side like horizontally and it was like it was like an it, and then all of a sudden it was like poof like they went out horizontally and then the car fell down on the ground but it kept going because it was going at such a fast pace and chris and i were just like oh my gosh what's going on i dodged the wheel chris did a great job like if i were behind the wheel i would have like 100% well I probably would have like stopped the car and like just like panicked but Chris we just like dodged around this like rickety car and like and there were there were um like little uh like embers coming out from where oh the God. metal had hit the ground because it was dragging at such a fast pace anyway so that was like the icing on the cake of this place is creepy it's weird Let's the guy said it. Like, it the, was... the driver didn't even see him panic that, that's the that's the funniest part. he was so completely that's the crazy unfazed. just stone face like his wheels fall off his car sparks are flying we just cruised by it's like it was like a you know like a like a sunday with sunshine and with with the top down he was like very casual about his like life falling apart it was incredible <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was very like stoic, just looking yeah, forward. Not like, worried at all. I think his wife face. was in the car. He could too. have been very, very concentrated. I don't, I don't know. know, but it was it was a weird, but it was hilarious because we were like, "What is going on?" Yeah, yeah, that was we have. I mean, we were talking earlier about like what kinds of stories we drop on it, and I think the it was hard to figure out, you know, what a funny story might be because I think for the most part we're laughing a lot, we're smiling a lot when we're traveling. But for me, I, I knew right away what it was going to be because we were we. We took a 26-hour bus, something un- some ungodly bus in Vietnam. And so, like, we board the bus. Like, I get, I get, like, a spot in the front, which is, like, it's still, like, it still wouldn't be comfortable for someone half of me. Like, half of myself would still be uncomfortable. But I was, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to embrace it. Like, you know, you know, I didn't have the back problems I have now, so I was okay. And, um, you know, literally, like, so we people, like, we, we get a good spot at the front. We were feeling pretty comfortable about it. And then, like people start piling in and like you can see like it's getting busier it's getting busier then like this like really tall german guy walks in and he goes to the back and he's like you can see he's looking around like oh my gosh like what am, what am i gonna be doing this bus for like 25 hours where am i gonna sit where am i gonna stand like where am i gonna live so like everyone piles in we take off and then maybe like 10 hours into the drive in the, the middle of the night in the middle of the night like the bus driver is making these like really questionable stops and like and there was like packages being handed off and we're kind of like well I guess this is like I don't know I'm, I'm kind of interested in being on this like drug mule adventure okay cool but one of the stops they pull over and like the German guy I mentioned before got up and he just no 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 it wasn't a stop he made the bus driver stop in the middle of the highway okay so I had made, to stipulate that it was a big he deal made, he made the bus you can see our relationship here it's like no Chris this is what it was um, <laughs> anyways we'll see if the punchline actually hits he 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 stood up and I guess as Bree said, like demanded to get off and he's like the line I'll never forget. He's like, It is a chicken coop <laughs> <laughs> And then just walked up there's no houses inside, nothing. I'm like, what is gonna happen to this man? Like on the side of the road in Vietnam, he just decided that whatever was out there in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere was the better than the bus. Just got his stuff, got off. <laughs> End of story. Amazing. Like it was like it was flat out panic. That that's why I had to jump in because it's actually better because we weren't at a stop. It was pitch black. Get me off rural highway. And he like it was such a legendary exit because he totally like turned and faced the whole bus and shouted like his upset and then just left. And we were all just like, that was amazing. Legendary. I hope he's still alive. I was gonna it was say, a very I don't know. strange place to yeah. randomly decide to disembark. But. So embarrassed to tell you that Luke and I have been, been these people. <laughs> amazing. 
I've had two like major bus breakdowns. Both of them were in <laughs> India. Okay, yeah. One of them I didn't storm off the bus. I just it was so terrible. I'm really embarrassed to say this, but it was just a, like 12 hours overnight and it was the middle of the night and we were up in the mountains in the south. So it's like bumpy, up and down, feeling sick. And I'd finally gotten to sleep and this man got on the bus and woke me up and told me that that was my his seat. So I had to get up. And so he forced me to get up. And then I was just standing on the bus, like falling over. Lucas was sleeping somewhere else. And I just had a total meltdown and started screaming that like I needed to leave India right this second. (laughs) And was like waking up everyone on the bus. It was so bad. And then the second time we were going into Mumbai and I think it was from Udaipur. Similar situation, like no AC, really bumpy. We'd been crying all night, like no bathroom stops. And finally, like we were on the outskirts of Mumbai and we were both so wrecked that we were like, no, we have to get off the bus right now right now and we went up to the driver and we were like let us off let us off and he pulled over and just left us on the highway and we were like we'll get a tuk tuk we'll figure it out and we literally tuk tuk to like the first hotel we could find because we needed to sleep so bad because india is intense yeah (laughs) it's also it was daylight when you got off that bus yeah it was like early morning okay there we all have breaking points that's just we've all been in the chicken coop once or twice and felt really upset about it but this but also it's like that what I always realize now in retrospect is like those stories that you have, like I, the way I get over them on like a bad travel time or a story is like, I instantly think about the way I'm going to tell it on, you know, on a podcast or on my site or whatever. Like it becomes bearable because I have avenues to retell that story. And so I, 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 I almost like make it into a comic affair while it's uh, in the midst of being horrific. So I know that Luke and I notice a lot of the time traveling together that we have different perspectives based on gender. Um, I talk about this pretty frequently on the podcast about like my personal experiences, especially like drawing on the time when I traveled almost exclusively by myself. And I'm curious if you guys notice and ever have these discussions as you're traveling um, about how your experiences differ from a gendered perspective. Certainly, yeah. Um, I would say that uh, we've, I mean, we've certainly traveled a lot of places where the, our gender identification changes the way that we're sort of treated. I've also been in a lot of situations where, because Chris and I are usually traveling together, so I hear stories from fellow female travelers of their experiences traveling solo in some destinations, and I feel kind of badly that I don't necessarily experience the world that way because there are a lot of places where if someone sees a heterosexual couple traveling they and they think that I am my partner's possession or like he has control over me that they won't talk to me they won't look at me um, but I remember staying in Fez Morocco um, and we really enjoyed traveling in Morocco it was fantastic but um uh, I had to go out and pick something up. Like we were at our we were at our hotel or something like that, um, or Riyadh that we were staying at, and I had to go pick something up. Um, 
But there were like multiple men who were like looking at me very differently from the way I had been looked at with Chris. And then I definitely felt like there were a couple who were trying to like follow me or there were certainly just I was receiving a lot more. And it wasn't it's not like I'm someone who can't deal with attention like that. Like, I mean, growing up in Toronto, you're going to deal with that on the street anyways. But it was just that awareness of how aggressively different it was to be walking down the street with Chris and then to be walking down the street on my own. Um, so that was an experience that made me very aware of that. Um, I, I also... In Korea in general. I mean, you can speak to that a little bit. But. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, too, actually. We've talked about that quite a bit. So in Korea, um, I'm a taller woman with, you know, a larger chest and I have, you know, like a full figure, I guess you could say. And um, yeah, living in Korea was very challenging, like uh, being there... Um, we were teaching English there. And so we'd have a lot of conversations with Koreans who would come up to us and want to, you know, speak English with us and things like that, like on the, on the Metro or, um, down in downtown Seoul or that sort of thing. And so often, um, the adjectives used to describe us would be that they would immediately, they would all flock to Chris and they would all grip his chest and grip his arm and be like, Oh, you're very handsome. You're very strong. Like that's what they'd always say to Chris. And then sometimes uh, there was this one man in particular where he just he after he had talked to Chris and very, very proudly, like patted him on his back as if he'd accomplished something that I didn't know about. He looked over at me and he just goes, oh, very big. And I was just like, wow, this is 100 percent just, you know, the way and I don't think that he meant it in the way that like a first like a a native English speaker would mean it in that you were, you know, larger or whatever. And not that that makes any difference, but it was just funny that he'd like, he was a total stranger who just came up out of nowhere and praised Chris for his physique and like being this chiseled man. And then he just chalked me up to being big. And I just felt so like swept aside. I think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. I mean, that's something we talked about when we were there for sure. Um, And I think when we got home, Brie realized like it really, how much it really affected her over, over, over that year right but i think it was it's more just like um the the way the sort of femininity femininity is praised in korea generally speaking with like really soft dainty features um really unrealistic expectations you know of like your skin's supposed to be like right and clear like you're never going to be in the sun and this kind of stuff so it's interesting. I mean, it wasn't. It was. It you know. It was uncomfortable for for me too, right? Because it's like, sure. It's the first couple of times you're like, oh yeah, thanks. I am handsome. Appreciate that. Um, but after a while, you know, you're kind of just like, yeah, like I'm. You know, I'm, but I'm a person. You know, like I'm like I'm not just like a big oaf of a white man. Obviously, it's, it, I, I I didn't deal with the. You were dealing with a situation where she constantly felt like her self esteem was getting you know, hit in the face. And, and for me, it was, you know, at least objectively being propped up. Um, but every country is different. Um, but I think Bree's point that we're usually traveling together, which affords us some being a heterosexual couple, um, traveling together, um, you know, pre- I think we're pretty easy along with things, things like that. We're happy to meet new people. Like, I think we fit into an echelon of most people are willing to embrace it with open arms, but I, but I, you know, I respect the fact that we are in a unique situation that affords us a lot of privilege. Also, in uh, just you talking about um, our marital status, I, I was always in Turkey. We took countless cab rides, and I would say, 
about 80% of our cab rides involved a conversation about were we married? Why not? Why didn't we have kids? And why don't we have kids yet? And that was like all the conversations. And it came, it was always like so endearing. Like I, the Turkish people are an amazing people and we absolutely adore that country. Um, but it was always just so funny when they, like <laughs> the cab drivers would always look over at Chris just like, why not? Like they don't, and then it'd well, be this it was thing was like, like the, well, we're not in a rush and you know, we don't really want to like, no, we don't want to be prescribed into like any sort of, but um, like, come on, get married. Like it, it was such a funny I'm trying to remember dynamic. The expression. I spoke, I used to speak more fluent Turkish, but, I, but the thing is that what was funny is that the Turks are so expressive, right? And I loved it about that country. Everyone like, you know, I'd have a class of 22 students and 21 were extroverted. And I'm like, how does this happen? But, uh, you know, it was like you you get into a cab and they'd be like, you know, Merhaba. And you're like, Merhaba, Nasılsın, how you doing? How you doing? And then, of course, quickly you'd be like, so do you have kids? And you'd be like, uh, no, like, we don't, we don't have any kids. And they, they'd be like, Abi, brother, like, neden olmasın? Why? Why don't you have kids? And you're like, It was always you shock, know, utter shock. Uh, uh, you know, and I'd be like, uh, chunku because, uh, you know, we didn't have a good answer, but it was always like, like, it was like, it was, it was almost like a directive. It was like, brother, get to it, get some tea and get home and get some kids rolling. You know, it was, it was, it was but it was playful, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, but that's, a, but that's part of the culture there. The, the, you know, success is, is, is in a way tied to, it's as much tied to having a big family as it is tied to having a big job, yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. That happened to us a lot in Japan. Every single Japanese person that we spoke to, one of the first questions, are you married? Why not? How many kids do you have? And then in India, it would happen as well. And we got to the point where we just started telling people we were married because mm-hmm. it was easier than trying to explain every single time. So this segues really well into sort of the next segment I wanted to talk about with you guys, which is culture shock given that you've lived abroad for, I guess, in total, how long were you living abroad? Well, Chris lived a, a semester abroad prior to us living abroad together. So collectively, we've lived abroad about five years. Yeah, I would say I would say collectively, I've lived abroad about six and a half of the last decade, maybe mm-hmm. six, six and a half. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and we can dig in this into this more as we talk about this further, but that's interesting because at least personally I've noticed when I spend like for example I was in Jordan for two weeks and I don't feel like I experienced any culture shock there because it was just such a whirlwind of a trip whereas even when I lived in the Netherlands for six months I felt it there even though a lot of people would argue it's really hard to like feel culture shock in Europe because it's such a similar culture in a lot of ways when you live somewhere long term and like are actually living life there you start to notice like micro things that you won't notice as a tourist um but yeah we've we've talked about culture shock before on I pack my bags Um, And I think it comes up frequently because most travelers will experience it. And it's interesting because it's so subjective. Um, For example, Lucas felt culture shock when he lived in Hong Kong. And then so he lived there four months. And then when I went to visit him for a week, I the whole time was like, oh, my God, Hong Kong's amazing. I love it. Whereas he could only see the things that had been like really difficult for him for the four months that he lived there. Um, So. Did you feel it in South Korea or in Turkey? 
Mm-hmm. Um, to different degrees. Um, and I've also, I've learned a lot about culture shock and the way that it works. And like, I, I think the term culture shock is a little strange because it suggests like an electric shock or something. And mm-hmm. like, it's all like through your body all at once. And it's just, it's, but it's, I would, I would say it's more what you were saying, like the little micro pieces. Um, I heard somebody say that when you're adjusting to a new environment, it's like, uh, it's like a spectrum, not a spectrum, but it's like a, a timeline kind of of how it works. So like your first three months are like the sweet spot. So like you're just seeing all the positives like, oh my gosh, there's no last call when we were like 20 living in Korea or something like that. Um, or like, oh my gosh, like I can barter for so many different things when we were in Turkey, like all of like the really positive things. Um, but then uh, I think the case has been made for like the three to six month mark. And that's when like the things that you miss from where you lived before start to kind of come through and that becomes kind of like the low point. And then after that, you kind of equalize. That's what I've heard. And I actually think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I remember when we first moved to Turkey, being really concerned for how we were going to sleep through the call to prayer every night. Um, in the morning, I thought the, 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 yeah, the, yeah, in, in, at in the morning. Light, at first yeah, light. at first light, but which is quite early depending on the month. Um, and, and into the evening as well, because in the summer months when there's more daylight, anyways, there, it's all through, anyways, we were just wondering how that was going to work. And it wasn't really an issue while we were living there. We had a loudspeaker of a mosque right outside our window too. So that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we got, but, but it wasn't, we totally stopped hearing it. And then it's funny because we went back to visit Turkey for a week in, uh, this past June, which was fantastic for many reasons. But we were chuckling because we were like, oh, my gosh, the call to prayer. Like we because we had been we've been gone from Turkey for about two years now or we had been gone for about two years at that point. So even in that time, it was just funny because that was something that I remembered. It immediately brought me back to when we had first moved there and we're talking about that. So that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also remember like it's it was it's more the dip in like realizing all of the social relationships at home and the families members that you're not able to see as much i think that that has always contributed to culture shock a lot for me as well um it just becomes it makes the uncomfortable pieces of living in a place a little more complicated when you can't talk to the people that you can really count on although chris of course has been my rock for so many of those moments but you know sometimes you want to be able to talk to the people back home Mm -hmm. yeah i don't i think i don't i don't know if i'm unique in my experience with culture shock but i really I kind of rarely step out of that first three months of excitement uh, with a place. You know, I'm, I think I'm naturally kind of a fired up person to explore. Um, it's not to say I don't see the downsides of a place, but I think uh, I'm really cognizant of the fact that I'm going to be living there for a limited time. Um, and so I'm not sure I ever stop being excited about living in Turkey. I mean, for me, I just tried to ingratiate myself with the society more. I learned more Turkish. I learned more about the culture. I spent more time um, going to places where you could only you know, get tea and people are smoking. There's only Turkish being spoken. I'd get my hair cut at only a Turkish spot. Like that kind of stuff. I just always felt like it was another hill for me to climb to get further into the society. And so I'm not sure. I never, I, I never really stopped that. Like that's just, maybe it's just me, but that's like sort of the goal that I always had. And I kind of focused on that. And of course, like there were some times in, uh, in Istanbul where there was some like tumultuous stuff around uh, around terrorism and things like that and that's just something I hadn't experienced before so um, it was a unique the culture shock experience there was like I remember one time I was walking to the gym and like a uh, 
a big unmarked sort of bus like kind of like slop stop right, right beside me and i kind of thought like oh, i wonder if something's about to happen you know what i mean so the culture shock there was like my my psyche i was sort of training myself to be a little bit anxious and stuff like that and so that's kind of what i feel it's just something i, I thought about i think the the biggest culture shock i ever experienced in my life was coming back to toronto after three years in turkey um because i didn't really identify with the society in the same way um i, I love living in toronto again now but at first I think my heart was in two places, you know. I think uh, I didn't necessarily want to leave Istanbul, but I also felt like it was the right decision to leave. You know, we were getting married back here. My brother was getting married. My parents are back here. Um, you know, I kind of always feel like you can uh, you can go abroad and maintain your relationships back home, but you probably can't deepen them. And so I think we were keen to come back and deepen them in a sense. But it was a really difficult first six months, especially because I'm travel writing things full time. So I was back and forth. Um, it, must, it must have been difficult for Brie too because we were living at my parents' place and I would go off for two weeks to Ireland and Romania and all over the place and Brie was at home with my, my folks and I think it was when I it was really started getting better when after kind of a three months or four months or whatever it was kind of like alright so I'm back in Toronto I gotta be back in Toronto um, and that's kind of where the sort of the ideas of how I could make this feel more like home were here. And I, and I knew I was going to get some things. Like in Istanbul, it was, it was Wednesday at 10 p.m. You're like, I think I want to go out. And like one phone call later, you're like at a Mehane drinking raka and, you know, whatever. And no one's worried about what time you get up. And no one cares. Like the, whatever job you have to do is so low on the totem pole. Um, and it's not to say they're not hardworking people because they absolutely are. But they have their priorities straight. I mean, Toronto is a, can be a depressing place um, when you look at, sort of how suffocated some people are by their occupations. Um, so eventually, you know, the, the Toronto Bloggers Collective was something I kind of wanted to start and, and to meet more people who were trying to do interesting stuff in the city. But I think the main thing was, like, um, was just realizing that Toronto had a lot to offer. It's a really cool city and that we're lucky that there's so many parts of other cultures that we can revisit in a way, you know, if we're really missing Korea and we'll go down to little Korea. I mean, we're, we're fortunate to have um, not just little, you know, the Disney World version of places, but like you can go down and speak Mandarin and get bok choy if you want. And, and it's not like it's like if you're going to Chinatown. So it's like we have real representations of those places in the city. I'm very, I think we're very fortunate uh, to have that. So that's that's my long answer about culture shock. <laughs> yeah, I also wanted to touch because I wanted to talk about a reverse culture shock as well. I think it's I think it's really, much more real for me. Yeah, so. um, for me, I just remember riding the TTC when I came home and like the English was overwhelming like everyone speaking English it was too much for me because in Turkey if there were people speaking English I was like oh what are they saying like because I I could understand Turkish but I couldn't understand Turkish so much that I understood so many of the conversations happening around me Mm -hmm. and so I found I couldn't read on the TTC because the English conversations were deafening to me it was like it was like I, I had it's like I'd pushed out all the background noise for three years and all of a sudden it was just hitting me square in the face. Yeah. So that was something that was really I remember it viscerally and I remember being really frustrated by it. Um, and I'm not nosy. I'm not like listening to everyone's conversations on the TTC, but it was just and I just remember being like, why are you all talking so loudly? Like, what is this? Like I would get like a little worked up. I would almost have a chicken coop moment like on the TTC with people with their loud English <laughs> conversations. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm past that now, which is good, but I just, I remember that hitting me. And then also, yeah, living in Europe, um, and a lot of places around the world, but it, the work-life balance is so nice. And 
knowing that you can just call someone up or send out a message saying, I'd like to go out and people are ready to do that. Um, not like a bunch of people have to be Nighthawks, but just like, oh, it's a Tuesday and yes, let's grab dinner. Whereas in North America coming back, it was really hard because I find that everyone's lives are hyper scheduled to a certain degree. And I mean, it's easy to it's easy to put a blanket statement over everyone's lives here. But I mean, I have uh, I have many friends who have kids and their kids have activities or I have friends who have, you know, uh, this this class that they take every week at this time. And it's great that we have so many fantastic things to fill up our schedule. But it it was really frustrating when I was trying to make a dinner plan with friends. And it's like, well, I'm available five Saturdays from now. And it's like, well, I want to don't you want to see me now? Like, like, don't you want to pencil me in? It just and I, I couldn't help but feel a little bit hurt by that. But it's not it wasn't them trying to say anything about it. And of course, I'm 100 percent into this scheduling culture now that I've been back for two years as well it's just the culture here it's just how it works and so it's nothing personal if someone's not available it's just that they might need to pencil you in Mm -hmm. (laughs) and of course like everyone operates differently but I felt that was really interesting moving back to Canada yeah I remember coming back from a year in Europe and being very overwhelmed by customer service. Mm. That was something that stuck with me a surprisingly long time where when I walked into a store or a restaurant and people were automatically addressing me, I found it very uncomfortable because I became so used to just having to go and get someone if you needed something. Um, And that was surprising to me because it didn't bother me living in Europe. That wasn't something I needed to adjust to, whereas coming back, it was very overwhelming. And I sorry, and I'll chime in actually that's interesting because I used to be a waitress and when I was trained like just giving someone the bill when they're done eating, that wasn't even something you'd blink an eye at. Whereas yeah. in Turkey, if someone brought you a bill, that would be seen as rude. rude. Like yeah. get out of my restaurant. Like you don't get the bill until you ask for it because yeah. you're staying here for hours after dinner. And that was interesting coming back to the bill culture of like, oh you're done your last sip. There you go. Out the door. Next customer. It's because in North America meals are pragmatic. It's like it's gonna fill you up for your event. Yeah. You know, whatever else you're doing for the rest of the night. Whereas in every other place it's like it's like, no, this is the event. The mm-hmm. meal is the event. Being mm-hmm. with each other is the event. We're going to eat uh, little portions of little things for three hours and 45 minutes yeah. um, and drink throughout. And then you're going to leave just deeply satisfied yeah. uh, in almost all regards. And then you'll walk home and that'll be it, you know. But you're not also, everyone's present. Like, you're not, like, you don't get the sense that anyone's yearning to be anywhere else. Um, yeah. You know, and you miss some of that stuff too. It's not to say that, you know, Toronto doesn't have or North America, or you're making these broad statements about a whole continent, like that, that there's not positives to any aspect of this. Like sometimes I'm pretty pumped up to be in and out of a place in like 25 minutes and get on with it. Like I, I like to be productive and efficient, but I, you know, it's it's a it's that fine balance, right? But at least if you travel, you understand that there are other options. Um, that you know you you can take the time if you want to eat a two-hour meal and drink a bottle of wine or more and just enjoy each other's company and listen to music and not be like stressed out. I'd be like, so what are we doing tonight? Mm-hmm. Like, does anyone have 16 board games? And, uh, you know, do we have like, does someone have pyrotechnics or whatever? Like, you know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, there was nothing, you didn't know, you didn't need anything to have a good night. Uh, so yeah, I like the suggestion of pyrotechnics. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a night. I love my pyrotechnics uh, on a Wednesday night. Nobody bring any? Oh my gosh, travesty. (laughs) So I wanted to circle back 
to something you said and hone in on it a little bit because it's something that I've been thinking about recently, especially when I reflect on the two months that my partner and I spent in India. We're about to go back to India and we've been talking a lot about whether we'll feel the same culture shock that we felt the first time or because we felt by the time that we left that we had overcome a lot of that and we had come to understand like culturally what was going on we weren't feeling as frustrated so we're wondering if when we return we'll be hit with it again or if we'll just like snap back into the like the feeling of calm that we had like just not even calm, just like understanding. And thinking about this more, I realized that I definitely was culture shocked the first time we were there. But I think that it was a good thing because there was an inquisitive element to it in that things frustrated me a lot, like on a day-to-day basis. Like I'll never forget walking down the street in Varanasi and just having a meltdown because like everyone was honking their horn and not understanding like why can't they just drive and not honk their horn? And so Lucas and I every evening would go back to our hotel and we didn't have data because we were like, we're not spending money on that. So we would create these lists on our phone of things that we needed to Google so that we could understand India. And so we would go back to the hotel and all evening we would be Googling these things. And it was such a learning experience because like it's only because the honking bothered me that I know now why culturally everyone honks their horn in India. Had I not like been frustrated by it, it's something that I would never know. And I think that this is like people view culture shock as a bad thing a lot of the time. But the more I think about it, I realize that like it can actually be a very constructive thing because it teaches you things about other cultures. It gives you a reason to like wonder and try to find answers. And I think we're really lucky nowadays because we have the tools to find those answers so quickly. Like culture shock is all about a positive educational experience about recognizing that just because you're familiar with one system and one set of like norms, it doesn't mean that the tens of thousands of other possibilities of systems and norms are no good. Because mm-hmm. cause with, with all civilizations, like they've all gotten a lot of things right. But if we don't learn and grow from one another, I think that that's actually where we're at a real disadvantage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of it's the positive thing of globalization, well, like why, I suppose. Like why would I don't know, I would never travel to a place where I wouldn't be displaced. Like why why wouldn't I mm-hmm. why travel culture shock if we're putting a point blank is why it's why I travel. I want to feel like I'm a leaf in somebody else's river, you know, for a few moments. Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah, I'm a writer Brie, sorry. <laughs> um but you know, I think all like, that's that's literally why I, I love uh, I love that feeling. I love waking up and being like, I don't have the answers, but um, you know, I'm going to caffeinate and figure some things out. Yeah. Um, no, it's yeah. funny you say that because I think about like us in India. It's just the best example I have. And when it came down to it, our day to day there, sure, we went to some temples, but I'd say most of our trip was us just trying to figure out India mm-hmm. and trying to understand this culture that was just so vastly different from what we knew. Um, and that was sort of the point of the trip more so than visiting like a temple in every city. There was a point where we just stopped doing that. And like our trip was literally us just going to a random city, walking around, asking questions. And that was our day to day. Okay, maybe a good way to wrap this up is to ask if you have any tips for handling culture shock for people who might 
feel overwhelmed by it or like be nervous about going somewhere where they think they'll encounter it. I think thinking of culture shock as like the personification of or if you no, I think of it as like reverse personification. If culture shock was a, a, a I just picture like an old woman who doesn't speak your language and just wants to give you the biggest hug. And, like, she's, like, so warm and she just, like, wants to, like, hug it into you. Like, if you can picture culture shock as being this woman who obviously is very well-intentioned and wants what's best for you and isn't able to communicate that to you, that's how I think people should read into culture shock and think about culture shock. Just because you're uncomfortable and just because she's hugging you really tightly and maybe you're the type of person who doesn't like to be touched, (laughs) it doesn't make it bad. It's just, like, think about all of the good it's going to do for you and how much you're going to learn and grow from the experience. I don't know if that clearly communicates it or not, but like that's how I think that that's a really helpful framework of which to approach it from. Yes. Yeah, so I, I think it would kind of in a metaphor as well. I just think of it as um, there's just different, they're just different uh, books that are, some are more dense and complicated than others. And it's not to say that, uh, you know, some of the best writers of all time, like Hemingway, et cetera, they're not, difficult writers to read but they're all different authors they all have different books to read but sometimes you're going to come across something where you're like like cloud atlas or something you're like oh my gosh you know but but it pays off to take time and realize that you have a book in your hands that it's going to take some patience to read and you got to read those pages slowly and, uh, and by, the, by the time you get to the end of the book it, it in, in the same way that it feels you know perhaps a little bit better to read a thousand page dense novel than it does to read a 120 page book like you're going to be like well that was like i'm happy i stuck with that I think that's the way I think about culture shock. And I also think that, um, like, I th- think my problem with the concept of culture shock is, like, it's something that happens to you and you're at the behest of it. And I think that anybody who understands culture shock knows that you have to be an active participant in combating it in a way. And, and that means understanding what food are you looking to eat there? What are the people like? What's the temperament? You know, when I lived in Norway, like, you know, 19-year-old you know, relatively heavy drinking, boisterous Canadian comes into a like soft spoken um, place where like extroversion is like not that like welcomed, you know, and you're and you got to figure that out quickly. You know, you got to understand like, well, this is not my place to be like, this is my opportunity to learn from this culture. Why is it, you know, maybe I ought to think about humility a little bit more. Maybe I ought to think about these sorts of things. And so I think you have to come prepared Learn a little bit of the language. I mean, for me, learn, I, learning the language is, is just a matter of respect and not like, you don't need to know tons, but you need to know how to enter a shop and not be like, hello. Um, you know, which is like, I just think that's a matter of like, if you can, you know, if you learn how to tie your shoes, you can probably learn how to say five things in a language. Mm-hmm. So these are things that I uh, that I, that I think about. But it, I think that's the, that's the main thing for me. Like, do your research. What do you need to know? And you need to know if you're traveling to England on a business trip or you're traveling to India on a backpacking trip. You need to understand what does that mean? You know, what are you going to need to know? Because I think the biggest mistake people make when they're traveling is that they're not understanding what they signed up for. You know, they they think, well, it's going to be, you know, that I watched, I don't know what you pray love, but I just like to make fun of it. Um, like, I think it's to watch a movie and it's like, I'm going to go have my experience in India, whatever. Mm. And they get there, they're like, oh my gosh, like, it turns out India is like, 
my stomach is like ruptured. Um, I've eaten like a million things. I don't know where to go. It's so loud and crazy and there's so much smog and like, um, you know, if you're in Varanasi, you're like, I don't understand what I'm seeing, you know, you, but, you, but it's like, honestly, uh, take a moment, take a deep breath. And, and the deep, deep breath is a lot easier to take when you understood in the first place that you were going to need to take a deep breath. Um, so that's my, mm-hmm. that's my shtick and my parting uh, words on that. You know, I think yeah. it, it's not to say you, if you you can prepare for a year and you're still going to get culture shocked a bit, but you're certainly going to help you. Like I, I learned a lot of Turkish before I ever stepped foot in, in Istanbul to live there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you make a good point. A lot of it, the way I think of it often, is about listening. You have to listen to that other culture and be open to just taking a step back. And instead of impressing yourself on that culture, step back and listen to that culture and see what you can learn from it. But then on the flip side, listening to yourself. I find a lot of the time you become... When you travel, you want to do so much, you forget to take care of yourself in a lot of ways. So I found, like, personally, I just find it's good sometimes when you're in a foreign place to remember that it's okay to go back to your hotel at two in the afternoon, lie in bed and watch your favorite movie for three hours, because that's going to make you feel familiarity and safe. And then you'll be rejuvenated to go back out and listen some more to the culture that you're visiting. I just wanted to add one thing to that and just just point out what you said before about like, it's okay to go back to your hotel sometimes and take that um, time for yourself and recharge. I think it's important that you're not living somebody else's narrative of what you think travel should be. So if you need to go back to like, sometimes literally Brina will be out traveling a place and she'll be like, I think I'm going to go back and chill out for an hour or two. And you go on a journey and come back when, when you're feeling ready or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just understanding what you need from the journey. Um, and that's kind of, to go full circle, that's kind of the problem with some of the social media stuff around us is like, you know, not not a lot of people are covering that hour in their room like, oh, I just really need a moment off. They're just covering the like, I'd never stop. And I'm so engaged in this culture. And like, let's be honest with ourselves. Like we're just, we're human beings and, and just find your own version of that place. That's probably the best thing you can do is find your own version of a city. And, and sometimes that means um, taking a moment to, plug yourself back into whatever you need to and then resetting rather than you know hopelessly going around drearily like half asleep and then being like well i gotta pose for this picture and then being like huge smile and oh my god i had such a meaningful moment at insert site here and it's like you need you're lying um so yeah i mean that's it i think all that to say to end it on a positive and not be like Mah. um i think it's just respect the journey you need to take mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that journey doesn't have to be seeing all the top sites in a place either. That's something that I, I very strongly feel that you could visit so many countries and like major cities or small rural places and like not see anything that's like on any list and still feel like you got and arguably feel like you got even more out of that experience just because you did it on your own. And you, as Chris was saying, you, you followed what you want to do and you were true to yourself. I think that that's really important. Agreed. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you both, Chris and Bree. Thank you for having us. Do you want to plug your stuff again? Heck yeah. <laughs> Go for um, it. So, firstly, I should say you can find both of us on Instagram, myself at Traveling Mitch with one L um, because of branding, because of one rather inebriated evening in Oslo. Um, <clears throat> and Miss Traveling Mitch, um, you can find both of our stuff at travelingmitch.com. If you're into Ontario travel, 
I also just launched an Ontario site, ultimateontario.com. Um, and Ultimate Ontario on Instagram. Um, yeah, hit me up on the podcast. Steve's over brunch. I think those are all the things. Um, but mainly, feel free to reach out to us. And if you want to actually get to know us a little bit, hop in our Travel Talk with Traveling Mitch group, which we both moderate. And legitimately, don't try not to dominate the conversation. We just sort of have people post their queries and do our best to guide them. But, um, yeah, thanks so much for having us on. Bree, do you want to join? Yeah, no, thank you. If um, I think Chris handled it all. I just have my little... My little Instagram account, Miss Traveling Mitch. And then if you want to get in touch with either of us, just Bria, send get... us an email or something. So yes. I'm Bree at travelingmitch.com and Chris at travelingmitch.com. And yeah, thanks so much for having us, Erin. You're welcome. We'll throw all these links in the show notes. Alpaca My Bags is hosted by me, Erin Hines, and produced by Katie Laura here in Toronto. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and in Twitter, in Twitter, at at alpacamybags.pod or on our website, alpacamybags.ca. Um, okay, I give you guys the spiel every week and I'm going to give it again because it never gets old. You need to tell your friends about this podcast ASAP. Thank you. We'll send you a sticker. Just DM us. All right. Alpaca pals. I hope you get to alpaca your bags soon. Ciao.